You're listening to The Details, a podcast from Mr. Porter about the little things that matter in men's style. In the course of this series, we'll be travelling around the globe to delve deep into buttons, zips, collars, labels, stitching, pleats and darts. We'll talk to world-famous designers about the secret subtleties that are hidden in the fastenings of their coats and the seams of their trousers. And we'll be getting up close and personal with collectors, craftspeople and enthusiasts, unveiling the meaning and emotion packed into even the tiniest elements of modern menswear. So this side is this side's easy because there's no buttons or anything on it. It's Sunday and I'm ironing and trying to relax. I have read that ironing is a relaxing thing to do because it's not going on your phone or shopping or arguing with people. But actually it's not all that relaxing, it turns out, if you're ironing a Junior Watanabe shirt. The front closure is straightforward enough. It's flat. You have to skim around the buttons a bit, but I can just about handle that. But then you get to the back and the arms, which won't lie flat at all because they're covered in lots of little folds. So this, this sleeve has three folds in it. Um, you have to peek the nose of the iron up there and try not to flatten them completely. It's fiddly and it's a pain. However... I go through with all this because I know that when I put this particular shirt on, when I head out to dinner tomorrow, it's going to look crisp but feel light and roomy. The cuffs will taper neatly towards my wrists and the back will billow out slightly so my shoulders will be able to move. And this is a feeling that doesn't just happen by itself. No, this is a miraculous piece of 3D design in which many different pieces of fabric have been judiciously cut and sewn more importantly, pressed and folded so that they can wrap neatly around the ungainly shape of the human body. If it's hard to iron, just think how hard it was to come up with the whole idea in the first place. I'm Adam Welsh, a writer and Mr Porter contributing editor. Today I'm having a bit of trouble, but despite that, we're going to talk about pleats. As far back as classical Greece, garments for both men and women have used pleating as a means of draping and arranging fabric in a pleasing manner. Pleats allow garments to fit the body with little or any need for sewing. They enable a wide piece of material to be gathered both to fit the body, such as on the waist, and to flare out into a fuller shape over the hips, for example. Finer fabrics have enabled a greater variety of pleated styles to be used, and the Greeks would soak their fabrics in a thin starch solution, tied at the ends, and leave them in the sun to dry, allowing for the pleating to become more permanent. Given how time-consuming it would have been to weave fabric, pleats were the earliest way to customise and refashion materials, allowing for individuals to create their own personal style. 
Additionally, using this method meant that no fabric was cut, preserving the material and enabling it to be reused. Fast forward to the present day, and there is a vast range of pleats that are used in fashion, and include accordion, box, cartridge, fluted, fortuny, honeycomb, kick, knife, organ, and rolled pleats. Knife pleats are used in modern kilts, and select one of the vertical stripes in the tartan on which the fabric is then folded, so that the stripe runs down the center of each pleat. This style is also used by many military regiments. While historically the use of pleats has been about ensuring that expensive fabric isn't cut or discarded, in modern times it can also be used as a way of expressing wealth and status through the sheer extravagance of material that can go into one garment. For example, the American suit suit of the 1940s featured deeply pleated peg trousers that ballooned around the leg and pulled onto the shoe. So extravagant was the use of pleating in these trousers that only one pair is known to have survived, as all others seem to have been recut to create new trousers when this particular style fell out of fashion. That was Andrew Groves, Professor of Fashion at London's University of Westminster, explaining how, though pleats might be ancient, their fashionability is something that's always changing. But for any long-time supporters of the pleat out there, and specifically fans of pleated trousers, here's some good news. This particular garment as of late seems to be having a moment. Walking through Florence during its biannual Pitti Uomo menswear trade show, you're likely to see many dandyish gentlemen wearing light-coloured linen suits, Panama hats, and generously pleated trousers. Of course, this is part of a general fascination with traditional and vintage tailoring that is always going to have a certain hold within the menswear community. But it's also thanks to Rubinacci, a tailoring house that was founded in Naples, southern Italy, in the early 20th century. To hear more about its signature pleated trousers, I called the brand's current creative director, Luca Rubinacci, a man well-known for his own colourful personal style and sartorial antics on Instagram. Unfortunately, okay. I interrupted him in the middle of a fitting. Hi, Luca, are you, are you free now? But he was very gracious okay. about it. I'm, I'm on. I'm uh, Luca Rubinacci. I'm the third generation of uh, the Neapolitan tailor house uh, Rubinacci, one of the most antique tailor house in Italy, and I'm uh, the creative director of the house. Rubinacci was founded by my grandfather Gennaro in 1932. He was an art dealer with the passion of clothing. The king of Savoy asked him uh, who was his tailor. And this is how the company started, because my grandfather opened a little laboratory where he put inside all the best tailor was at the time in Naples in order to satisfy the king. And today, with me and my sister Chiara, we are the third generation. We have also other two sisters, Marcella and Alessandra. We run the business and I'm the face of the brand. Right, so it's still very much a family business. My father and my mother are looking over all this. Wow. (laughs) Naples itself has a very long history of tailoring tradition. Could you explain what makes Naples tailoring unique? 
Naples always been very sartorially oriented because um, of the knowledge of this high society. And also the weather was very important because my grandfather was the first one to deconstruct a jacket because always look at the clients, at the people you are dressing. My grandfather used to dress Count Marquis King that was not dressing for a business purpose, but they was dressing for pleasure. They was not needing a very formal suit, but a more unconstructed and more nonchalant attire. So very light clothing, very light padding, no canvas, without even my grandfather knowing he was inventing the Neapolitan jacket. That is what today it's famous about. Neapolitan tailoring. What I particularly wanted to talk to you about today is pleats. The existence of your many pleated trousers is also related to that lightness of the tailoring and the warmth of the weather. Could you explain how long Rubinacci has been making this trouser and, and where the idea and inspiration for it came from? Manny is the name of a crew member of the boat of Amirayo Nelson that uh, is from the late 1800s, the boat uh, of the English Marine Navy, where this crew was wearing these uh, kind of trousers with double reverted pleats and high waistband. The high waistband with no loop was in order to move faster around the boat without being stuck in some place. We have this uh, picture in this very old book where we see all these uh, crew members wearing these trousers and they was looking very stylish even if the trousers uh, was uh, quite comfortable. These trousers was not very popular when we introduced them in 2005. Clients was very into these kind of trousers, but only the Rubinacci client. Then from 2015, when the, all the other brands start to reintroduce pleats, our trousers get a boom and become very conic. It's so funny that you can take a 19th century inspiration reinvent it in 2000 and then it becomes the beginning of a wider trend that lasts for 10 years or so. In your particular style, what makes the pleats on the Manny trouser different from everything else that's on the market or was on the market when it first launched? The problem of today is very simple, that uh, people are still focused on very tight trousers. So who's making pleats is making very small pleats in the terms of I give you the pleats, but uh, don't worry that they're not visible. Pleats, or there are, or not. <laughs> or you make it, or not. It's like having a, a gelato, but uh, put only half a scoop. If you're having, eat it. Then tomorrow you will not eat. <laughs> <laughs> this is the problem. Our pleats are real pleats, are four centimeter pleats. So when you're wearing, and people that wants to wear pleats, they look good in our pleats. Not that it's just a small, tiny thing that maybe you see, maybe you don't. Otherwise, it's better to go for a flat front. What's the purpose of the of the large waistband on the trousers as well? It's, a, it's just a stylistic point of view. You can have pleats with a three centimeter waistband. It's not a problem. I always like to say to my clients, style is different from comfortability. And style cannot fit you. These Gurkha trousers doesn't fit everyone. 
but doesn't mean that you don't have to wear pleats. Our many trousers have, have forward pleats, so English pleats that are facing inside. This makes the trousers even more puffy on the top. But if you like to wear a more thinner pleats, better to go to the Italian pleats that are facing outside. So that gives a more flat look in the front. What do you personally like about wearing pleated trousers? Pleats always been in the menswear wardrobe because you wear a trousers all day long and if you have pleats at the end of the day, the trousers will still look good. If you are wearing no pleats of flat front, you have to understand that uh, will wrinkle at the end of the day. So you said that you introduced the money trouser and then it took a while for it to take off. Why do you think it finally did? Why do you think people are coming back to pleats in menswear? Because uh, the mass always uh, follow fashion. That's the main reason. Unfortunately, mostly of the people, they don't have self-confidence. They can build it. That's for sure. Going uh, to tailors that uh, maybe they can uh, suggest you things, but mainly when you go to a fashion brand, you are uh, following a trend. I was telling you that needs 10 years to take off. But in these 10 years, who was buying these uh, trousers? There was all people with self-confidence, people that was already going to the tailor looking for something different. Today, the trend is uh, pleats. So everybody's coming to our side. But tomorrow that the trends will say, oh, wait, now again, no pleats. Say uh, to a customer that is interested in wearing a pair of your deep pleated trousers, how would you advise them to wear it? Are there any do's and don'ts or particular tips you can give of how to carry them off? Allora, first of all, it's a pair of trousers that it's uh, good if you're wearing only a t-shirt or if you're wearing a shirt. I can wear with a linen shirt. It's a trousers that can uh, make the outfit. So don't be scared. Maybe the first color you are going to buy are a natural color. Start always with a very simple and basic color and then you move forward if you like it. Remember that blue and cream make you look thinner so the pleats will not look as wide as on a brown or on a green pair of trousers. You were talking about the various self-confident men that have maybe made this trend happen. You've got your very strong own personal style and a big following for that. Do you consider yourself one of them? First of all, I'm a passionist about clothing. So when you have the passion, you can uh, cover yourself or you can dress. I'm a man that is always uh, searching for new things. And I cannot suggest to clients uh, many different things if I don't try by, by myself. I know what I'm doing and I want the new generation and the next generation to approach this kind of clothing that is not only classic, it's a way of thinking. Anyone who's let their cursor hover over a pair of Rubenacci trousers on Mr. Porter will be well aware that pleats are one way to make a statement. But more than that, they're fundamental to the movement and shaping of clothes. To find out more about how this works, I took a trip to that grand institution of British menswear, Savile Row. And if you're not quite sure what that means, here's Andrew Groves with some context.
Savile Row, synonymous with British tailoring and menswear, initially attracted tailors in the late 18th century, at first on the streets around Mayfair, just off Savile Row. By the 19th century, the area around Savile Row was home to military officers, politicians and the wealthy. It is often thought that it's this that attracted dealers in luxury goods and military and fine tailors to meet the needs of the local gentry. However, in 1846, Henry Paul, the company that made the first modern-style dinner jacket, based on specifications of the then Prince of Wales, later Edward VII, opened an entrance to their old Burlington Street tailoring premises on Savile Row. They were followed by other tailors, including Huntsman and Sons, who, although founded in 1849, didn't move on to the row until 1919. Women's Haute Couture which traces its beginnings to the 1850s in Paris, still uses the very best fabrics, seamstresses and tailors to create one-off outfits designed and cut to fit an individual. In menswear, this practice is mirrored by the tailors of Savile Row, who likewise can trace their businesses back to the middle of the 19th century and still cut and tailor the very best bespoke suits using the most beautiful fabrics available for the discerning customer. It is often thought that bespoke suits from Savile Row in London are constructed entirely by hand. However, like with haute couture, some use of industrial sewing machines takes place. To qualify for membership of the Savile Row Bespoke Association, each two-piece suit must be made within 100 yards of Savile Row and have at least 50 hours of handwork. This would include the cumbersome processes of hand-stitching of buttonholes, linings, pad stitching of internal canvases and the hand tacking that takes place before each fitting. The tailors of Savile Row are famously meticulous when it comes to clothing construction and addressing the individual needs of customers. This, actually, is the entire point of ordering something bespoke, that it can be fitted precisely to the shape of your body. But how exactly do pleats and darts fit into all this? This question led me to the premises of Huntsman, a Savile Row tailor established in 1849 that's renowned not just for making some of the most beautiful suits in the world, but for its expertise in equestrian and sporting tailoring. There I met with junior cutter Emma Cope, who, in her precision and enthusiasm for the craft, is an excellent representation of the new generation of young people in Savile Row, that are not only learning and maintaining its traditional tailoring skills, but, perhaps more importantly, making sure all of their customers are dressed in clothes that flatter. My name's Emma, and I'm a cutter at Huntsman on Savile Row. What does being a cutter involve? What kind of things do you do day to day? As a cutter, your main role is to cut and fit the garments. So it begins with measuring a client, so when they first walk in, we'll, we'll take measures after they've chosen what they want. We look at their figurations, so their, their body shape. Using all that, we draft a paper pattern. We cut that out and cut it out in the cloth. The cloth then goes to the tailor who will baste up a fitting. And then the client will come back in and we'll fit that garment. From there, we make any changes, mainly to the pattern, to the garment. We remark it. That will then go back to the tailor, who will then completely make the garment. We do further fittings, depending on you know how well it goes, or if they've changed weight and things like that. The garment will get finished out, have all the, the fine stitching done to it, 
And then hopefully if the customer is happy, he can take it. That word cutter is a little bit disingenuous because what you're actually doing is is not just marking out the patterns and, and cutting cloth, but working out how the cloth is going to fit to the body. I think it's a lot like art in a way. You have to look at the person and sometimes as well as you take all the measures and you're using maths to do all these calculations to, to work it out on the paper, you can just look at the person and draw the lines you see. You draw the shape of their body. That gets then put onto the cloth and aids in the fitting. You've been a husband for about four years. What kind of training do you have to do to become a cutter? It takes around four to five years to become a cutter. You begin with three intense years of training and two more years building up your experience. So you begin with being paired with a cutter and you're then their trainee and you learn from them. It takes a lot of dedication. Being cutter, I think, is more of a lifestyle than just a job. You have to be dedicated to it. I always imagine that creating garments from scratch, from a flat pattern, must be a very satisfying process in that you're conjuring something out of almost nothing. What do you enjoy about it? I love when I've met a customer, taken their measurements, looked at their figure, and when I've drafted the pattern, I can look at it and I can see them in it. I can see the shape and I can see how it's going to work. And it's so rewarding when it fits right. Equally, if it, you know, something is a bit wrong and it, using that sort of logical mind to work out the problems, work out how you're going to solve it and relate that back to the pattern and keep working. To top it all off when the customer is very happy with the end and they're delighted with the fit of their suit and you feel you've made them happy and you've done a good job, it feels very rewarding. Your task is to make garments fit on the human body. How does using pleats and darts facilitate that? A pleat is a fold in the cloth and you can have different options of reverse pleats or forward pleats and that creates fullness and more volume in the garment so more comfortable wear. Whereas darts, they are a seam that is sewn out to reduce in a particular area such as the waist and increase in another area. So for example, when looking at the body figurations, With darts, if the client has got a prominent seat or a prominent chest, that's where we use a dart to then throw more cloth in that area, mainly as well for waist definition, whereas a a pleat can be mainly a style detail and could be used for most figures. I think I'm going to start using uh, these phrases, prominent seat and prominent chest to describe. (laughs) It's going to be describing myself after Christmas or something like that. It's a very polite way of putting it. One thing you don't want is to get them in the wrong place. It needs to look aesthetically pleasing. And one of the main things I find when drafting a pattern with pleats is that I don't want them to be tight and therefore pulling and gaping open. With shooting pleats as well, you don't want them to be gaping open when the garment's not in use. So we use elastic in it as well so the pleats can ping closed, if that makes sense, when the garment's not being stretched and used in a particular shape. I suppose that's actually quite a good generic tip for men going shopping for themselves in any case. If you're wearing a pair of pleated trousers, make sure the pleats lie flat. Exactly, that's correct. You want it to lie flat, not be gaping open, because that won't look flattering. When it does fit perfectly, it can look lovely. This example here that you've got is very interesting. This here is an example of a shooting jacket. It's got a large, deep pleat on the back, which kind of adds a sort of half flap from the shoulder to the waist. The job of this is to add movement to the arm when the person is shooting. So when they go to lift the gun up, the garment then can open out and they've got that room to move. 
another style detail you could have on a, a shooting jacket or other jackets is a similar type of pleat but down the center back seam so that again will do the same that as they move their arms forward and you can feel that stretch across your back the gum will open and give you that movement I don't know if we've got it on this jacket uh, we'd have to look at the front but an example as well we can have a patch pockets and they have a box pleat in the center which again opens out so it can be used for when they're putting more things in the pocket and you want it to open. Where is this particular garment from? Because it's quite a, a distinctive colour and shape. It's got sort of mustard-coloured suede tape on the pockets and overall it's a salmon-coloured windowpane check tweed. What's the provenance of this garment? This is an example of a Huntsman tweed jacket. It's one of our archive pieces. So we don't do this tweed anymore, but actually this tweed has been very popular. We relaunched it. We've actually done the the, the salmon pink, slightly more of a pinky colour than more orange, which you do have in store. Do you find a lot of your customers come in and ask for something quite classic? Or are there many people who come here to get something special and colourful and a bit eccentric like this piece we've been looking at? There's a few different sort of ways customers come in for what they want. A lot will just want a suit for business wear and they go for the navy or grey. You get a lot of people who are after wedding outfits, then they feel it's, you know, that chance to choose them again a bit different or stick to the very classic morning wear. But I've known customers who've just wanted full three-piece suits in I call our pink tweed and they live in hot countries and I don't know where they wear it in there, but they are very happy with it. You never know what anyone's going to want to order and they do order all sorts. There's a difference in approach in general between that bespoke discipline where you're creating a garment to flatter the wearer versus contemporary fashion off the rack where the wearer is just buying the garment because of the label or because of the way it looks. And what's wonderful about pleats and darts is that it enables you to create a garment that will actually flatter the wearer. Exactly, and that's always what we aim to do. Pleats, perhaps, particular customers might want them to be a bit smaller or something because they have in their head it's going to be more flattering to have that slim look and slim figure. That's a bit of a misconception because to have something skin tight isn't going to be flattering. What you want to do and um, what the job of the cutter to do is to highlight the narrow areas of the client make it fitted that way and to ease over others and fullness can be a good thing you said that being a cutter is more like a lifestyle than a profession what do you mean by that i remember when i started because it's something you almost then begin to become obsessed about fitting and working out things you know you'll be walking down the street and you'll see somebody from the back of their jacket think, ah I can I can see that, that they've got a drop shoulder and I can tell it in their jacket and you begin to spot things like that which then relates to your work and then you can see it in the fittings I myself like to make a lot of clothes for myself and I try out all my pattern drafting and then I have new ideas of things I want to do and I you know have a go basically and all that is quite good learning for me because then when I'm doing fittings, I, you know, I've had more practice and experienced it from a tailoring point of view. As a cutter, even though we know tailoring, it's nice to be able to make things yourself and have a go at that. But then quite difficult when you go to buy clothes because you can think, ah, no, that doesn't quite fit me right there. And I think everything I buy now in a shop, I think, well, I'm going to alter that when I get it home because that's going to fit better that way. And it does sort of begin to take over because you see so much more of how to make things fit. Once you then know how to and you can spot what's wrong, you tend to do it with everything. 
Often when we talk about fashion design, what we're really talking about is the world of runways and trends. That is, the outrageous things that brands and designers do to make a provocative statement, to make headlines, to grab attention. But visiting somewhere like Huntsman is a great reminder that as much as clothing is about the look of the thing, so much of the work in creating it is not about references or inspiration, but fabric and fit. This, to me, is what design really means, the coming together of engineering and aesthetics. And in fashion, it's in pleats and darts that this culmination begins. What's next for pleats? Well, in an age where many people spend much of their time wearing stretchy jersey hoodies and lycra sports leggings, you could argue that the need for them is diminishing. But that, I think, would be selling them a little short. So long as designers want to create new shapes and volumes, and so long as customers want clothes that accommodate and accentuate their bodies in new and unique ways, you will find more pleats and darts hidden in the seams of your jackets or the waistband of your trousers. Now, though, I hope you'll know enough to appreciate them. You've been listening to The Details, a podcast from Mr. Porter, produced by Chalk and Blade. The producer was Eva Krishyak. The assistant producer was Hester Kant. The executive producer was Ruth Barnes. Mixed by Chris Wood. Music by Adam Lieber and Julian Guidetti. To listen to all six episodes, search for the Mr. Porter podcast on your podcast provider or visit our site at mrporter.com forward slash the details. To hear more from Mr. Porter, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Porter Live or check out our online magazine, The Journal at mrporter.com forward slash journal.